So we're going to start a sermon series, uh, a new sermon series today entitled Exploring Mark. And our goal is I really want us to grow in knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, and really able to look at these stories that are real stories, that are the most powerful stories, and apply them to our lives. See, the important thing is we see the greatness of Jesus in the scriptures, but if our faith has no power, we're going to develop deaf ears and not want to hear it anymore. Like if we're not getting out of the scriptures something we can apply to our life that brings glory to Jesus and changes our life, then we're going to feel like we're just going through the routines. What I'm here to tell you today is these are the words of life that can really change your life and help you overcome any obstacle in your life and enjoy the great seasons also. We have great seasons, we have challenging seasons. There's different seasons of life. These words are the words of life that can cause you to live an abundant life in any season so we're not tossed to and fro with the waves that the brokenness of this life can bring. Amen? So please, as we go through Mark, the Holy Spirit has given these scriptures so we can navigate life and so we can make it. Because I tell you, without the power of the Holy Spirit, none of us got a chance. Amen? So please hear these words as alive, as living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to cause you to walk through life with joy in every season of our lives. And so we're going to start right at the beginning of Mark and we're going to go all the way through. Some people always ask me, where do I start in the Bible? How do I read through the Bible? Like it's hard. Do I start in a, a name I can't pronounce in the Old Testament? What do I do? One of the best and most efficient and excellent ways to start studying scripture is with your church community. And so we're starting in the book of Mark right now. And if you're a person who says, I just need someone to start, I just need a point of reference. It's the shortest gospel. It's believed to be the first gospel. It's an action gospel. So like in Mark, there'll be like five verses to explain the temptation of Jesus. In Matthew, there's like 18. And I'm throwing that out there. Don't reference me on that. But it's right to the point. Jesus went in the woods. He got tempted. He overcame it, and he came and healed. Like, it's that kind of gospel. For those who say I'm not readers, and if I read, I fall asleep, this book is for you. This book is for us. Like, let's read through it together. Let's study it together. Let's learn from it together. Let's see the Holy Spirit move in us. And I'm telling you, even going through it as I'm studying, the glory of Jesus never gets old. The wonder of the way he treated people, the way he acted, the way he taught, the way he is and who he is never gets old. It's just beautiful. It's wonderful. It's fresh. It's life-changing. And we're going to glory in it for all eternity. So I hope that's what happened in Mark. You are able to study this book. You are able to enjoy this book. You are able. You guys are going to become serious theologians after this book. So we're going to begin right in the beginning. And we're going to talk about One of my favorite characters in the Bible, John the Baptist, just this masculine dude who wore animal fur, ate bugs, and yelled at people from the wilderness. It's this great character we get introduced to that is a special person with a special calling who is preparing the way for the greatest, who is Jesus. You know, um, I've done a few weddings at this point in my life. I've been at a few weddings And one of the funniest and most entertaining things to do is to watch the groomsmen try to get set up. They always drank too much the night before. They're always stressed. Their tie's always on crooked. 
and they always walk in like, what do we do? And their main, the thing they have to get right, the thing they have to get right, what does the groomsman have to get right? He can get a lot of things wrong. He's got to get that runway right, right? If that thing's at a 45 all the way and the bride's coming in like, they, they didn't do their job. And I've seen groomsmen do ridiculous stuff. Like they all seem to kick it to the side. But their job is just to prepare the way for the one who everyone is waiting for. They roll that whole runway out. No one leaves a wedding unless you're a single lady and you like one of the groomsmen. And says, man, that groomsman, he look good. You see that comma, bud? No one says that. No one goes home and has pictures of the, the groomsman. It's a great wedding. Look at them. They say everyone's waiting for the bride. What happens? They lay out that runway, and then everyone stands when the one who is everyone's been waiting for arrives, right? And the bride's there. That's the one. Their whole job is to prepare that way for the one everyone's waiting for. This is John the Baptist's whole life. His whole life is to prepare the way for someone who is far greater. And it's a beautiful thing. This is the life of a Christian in many ways. See, the world system will tell us to live for our own glory. It will say, live for your glory. Live, live for your pleasure. Live for what brings you the greatest acclaim and satisfies you. That's what the world system says. But we were made to find our greatest joy in lifting up another, Jesus. That's what we were made for. John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. We're not trying to live a life where people begin to worship us or say, he's the man or they've got it together or they've got to figure it out. You know, we, even in this culture, we get these sayings because we're looking for that person. Oh, he's the man. There he is. Oh, mama, there goes that man. No, we have all these sayings that that's the person. But everyone has fallen short except for Jesus. We are made to constantly point to Jesus, constantly lift up Jesus, constantly say how great Jesus is, to worship Jesus. And John was fully satisfied in that. Your life will be satisfied, not perfect, not everything going right, because life is not like that. But you will be able to say, I have joy, because my life is about exalting and glorifying another. If you're able to see this, like John the Baptist sees that. So let's turn to Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
John is a certain tool meant for a certain time. Many times we try to use wrong tools for the wrong application. When I was first doing electrical and I was an apprentice, they gave me a pair of pliers I tried to use it for everything. Like it was a hammer, I tried to screw screwdrivers in it. Like I just tried to use these pliers for everything. And so I'm running wire, I'm wiring a church up for me and Natalie to get married on. Me and Natalie got married in a church on a 20 amp circuit. The whole time I was like, this is about to blow. And I'm banging every staple in with pliers. A master tradesman comes in and he looks at me and says, I know in his heart he says, what's wrong with you, you idiot? But he said, Joey, here's a hammer. Use a hammer. That's the right tool for the job. John, in the many ways, is a sledgehammer that's breaking down the walls of dead religion so people can walk through and be baptized in repentance to have relationship with the true God. This brother's wearing animal fur. People looking around when people wear tank tops in here. Imagine someone rolled in with animal fur with a light snack of locusts. You'd be like, this is a rugged brother, man. Is he on the team? He was a special tool. He was rugged. His tone, like some guys, like Tim Keller, he's like an operator with a scalp. Just finally, he'll take something off and you don't even know it. What just happened? He has a special baritone. He's always talking lightly. You just, it's like a fine ointment. John, he's just bearded up. I love my bearded brothers. Yelling from the woods, repent, and just calling people out of this dead religion into true religion. And I hear people all the time, you know, when people talk about what true religion is, you hear them say taking care of widows and the fatherless. Absolutely. But we forget the last part of that verse. Does anyone know that last part of that verse? Well, my scripture memorizes that. And to stay unstained from the world. That means to walk in holiness, to not revel in sin, to stay far from the darkness. And what was happening in John's time is he is out in the wilderness. He is a wild man for Jesus. He is crying out, people repent. And people are coming to him weighed down by sin and being baptized and their hearts are being prepared and readied for Jesus. You remember we talked about the parable of the sow and how our hearts are like soil and it's so important to have that ready and Jesus would say, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. What John is doing in preparing the way is he's breaking down all that hostility, all that false religion, all that coldness towards God and he's saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and he's calling people to soften their hearts because Jesus is about to enter the runway and step onto the scene. Sin is a real problem. It always has been since Adam and Eve sinned. It always has been. You know, in our culture, one of the toughest things to watch is to watch people suffer from sin and not even know it, from the results of sin. So people are weighed down, they're they're depressed, they're anxious, they're restless, they have trouble with relationships. All their relationships are separated and broken down because what does sin do from the beginning? Cain kills Abel, there's brokenness, there's sin. Let me tell you what sin does, it divides and separates. So when you see families, you see marriages, you see churches, you see communities, you see towns that are broken and at each other, sin has had its way. 
And when someone is many times having trouble sleep or they are hooked on alcohol or they are hooked on drugs or they are hooked on drama and they are hooked on those things, that's because they're trying to self-medicate themselves from the sin that plagues their soul. And so when I see this in culture, it breaks my heart because we no longer call sin sin, we call them mistakes. We justify them by saying everyone does them when God the Holy Spirit is saying, listen to me, come to me and let me take that burden off your chest. Come to me and let me take that torment out of your mind. And what John the Baptist is preaching, like any good preacher would preach, preachers who preach repentance really love people because they know what sin does to people. Preachers that don't preach on sin love their congregations growing and the budget growing and people loving and praising them. But what's really going to help people is, listen, there's love and forgiveness in Jesus and you can be set free and live in peace and leave that burden on the cross because Jesus died for that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So John is preaching, repent for the kingdom of God in hand. You have multitudes of people showing up at the Jordan River and being baptized and feeling the weight of their sin lifted as they walk with God. Now you've got to understand, he had to be a hammer. He had to be rugged because he was faking, facing rugged times. The people of God thought they were okay. They were in the temples. They would make the sacrifice. They would go through the rituals. If you asked them, they would say, I'm part of the people of God. But their hearts were far from God. And John could see that through the power of God. He says, just because you have this umbrella that calls you a, a Christian, and I'm talking in our context, or part of the people of God, or part of the Hebrew people, or you go to the temple once or twice a year, you are not right with God. This faith, this religion, this walk, this relationship is about the heart. Don't let the, all this tapestry and traditions fool you. If God does not have your heart, he does not have you. And John is preaching that. And the religious leaders hate him. They hate him. Not, he's calling out the kings. He says the kings are living immorally and then they, they're sleeping with women that aren't their wife and he calls them out and they hate him. Because guess what darkness hates? Light. And what do they want to do? They want to quench the light. And ultimately John would pay the price. He would be beheaded and have his head put on a platter and displayed at a feast where people are celebrating and dancing. But in the kingdom of God, he's the greatest born among women apart from Jesus. So what I want you to hear today is first get introduced to John and understand John loved people enough and the call of God enough, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, that he called people to repentance. People came and got baptized with water, and their hearts started getting ready for Jesus. So when Jesus stepped on the scene, and we'll talk about that next week, people was like, this is the one who John's talking about. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who can cleanse us and give us joy. This is our Savior. This is our King. This is our God. John's main theme and the main theme of any preacher that's worth his salt is I'm not the one you're looking for, Jesus is. Any preacher that's preaching the gospel is saying, I'm not the one you're looking for, Jesus is. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. He was calling people for repentance. And let me just hit this before we go to this next point. 
just so everyone knows what repentance is, I want to take that for granted in, in our culture. So what is sin? You have to ask yourself what sin is if you want to know what repentance is. Sin, Wayne Grudem gives us a helpful definition. It's any thought, attitude, or action that breaks God's law. Like what did Jesus say? If you're angry at your brother and you call him a fool, you have sinned. You have murder in your heart. You know how Jesus got, he didn't play around. You know? It's any attitude, thought, or action that breaks the law of God. What is repentance? Repentance is recognize that my attitude, my thought, or my action broke the law of God and grieved the Holy Spirit, and I need to repent of that and have my conscience freed by the work of the gospel. Amen? If we don't regularly do that, you will be tormented and not have a peaceful and joyful life. Restlessness will define your manner. Repentance is a gift. It's a beautiful thing to have a God that when you say, Father, forgive me, he forgives you. He doesn't have to be that kind of God. He can be a vengeful God. He can be you get what you deserve, God. He can be, no, I gave you a chance and it's done, God. But he says, no, there's grace because of the work of my son. Please take repentance as a gift. And I want us to hear that Restoration Road. Take repentance as a gift. And repentance, godly repentance is this. It's to be grieved that we have hurt the person, the Holy Spirit, who is a person who is grieved by our actions when we use this temple for things it shouldn't be used for. Grieved. God is a person. He feels. That's why we're made in his image and we're in his likeness and we feel. It's to realize. See, fear of consequence many times doesn't deter us from sin. Because we all know it's wrong and we all know bad things that happen. But sometimes we say, this action is so satisfying right now, I'm going to do it anyways. But when relationship happens in walking with Jesus, you say, I'm not going to do this because this is going to hurt the person I love so much. You guys hear that? In any healthy marriage, in any healthy relationship, what happens is not you fear the consequences in a healthy relationship. You fear that you're going to hurt the person you love who has cared for you so deeply. And so when we get repentance, it's a godly sorrow that we turn away from our sin. You don't want to get in the habit of saying, I'm feeling bad about this day. I know I'm supposed to repent, but then just keep walking in that. The dangerous thing happens when that happens. You get a, um, a dull conscience, and your conscience becomes seared, and you start being comfortable with sin. You go seven years and say, there's nothing wrong with this. I, I, I've numbed myself to feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that's a side note. That wasn't even part of the message, but I just gave you a side note. Hopefully it helps somebody out. But that's so important to realize that in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit. I guess it is part of the message. But John says something amazing. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who's coming. He's that great. So I want you to think of three things when it talks about the greatness of Jesus. You've got to understand how great the one who just uttered those words is in the kingdom of men. What did Jesus say about John the Baptist? He said, among men born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. So you have the greatest among us because Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was divine. So he's got his own category. 
you got the greatest among us who are born of women. There's no one greater than John the Baptist. So you got the greatest of us. And he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who's coming. He's that great. He's making a statement. Good preachers belittle themselves and they lift up Jesus. Good Christians say, I'm not worthy, but Jesus ha- is worthy. That's a great pattern. We saw it with Apostle Paul saying that, I'm the greatest of sinners. The greatest that he's not worthy. Now, you've got to think how low it is to untie sandals back in the day. I mean, we'd have trouble. What if I walked, I was like, listen, I'm the pastor. Tie my shoe. You'd be like, what's wrong with this dude? You'd be that's low. I ain't tying your shoe. That's too low. I'm too high. I wouldn't ask you to do that, I swear. If I do, please leave the church immediately. <laughs> but think of the lowest task someone has asked you to do and think if you felt worthy to be able to do that task so let me give you um, a fun story one of my greatest fatherhood husband stories Um, years back some roots grew in the storage pipe at our home what happened was the roots grew in it was an easy fix but it was an easy cleanup you know, DPW came down and said, oh, you got some roots. They threw them out. But what had happened, because the roots had back up a little of the storage, there was like toilet paper and beautiful aromas all around the manhole. If you know me, you know I have the weakest stomach on the East Coast. I was a kid walking by. I see dog debris. And I just like gag. I just never had a good gag reflex. I was not, wasn't made for these things. And so I realized... You know, DPW was like, you guys got a vacuum or something to clean this bad boy up? You know, just get it out of here. I said, no, man, that's you, brother. We clean the thing out. You're good. So everything's flowing good. Everything's good. But now we got some toilet paper and beautiful aromas. And guess who's not cleaning it up? Nally, Tyler, Akira. And so I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Father, give me sons. And so I go out there with a wheelbarrow and a shovel. I got gloves on and everything, Timberlands on, I'm, you know, it's, it was horrid. And I start shoveling this stuff up, just all around, I'm putting it in a wheelbarrow. I got to bring it into my backyard, out in the woods, I'm digging a hole and I'm thinking, I got to be honest, my heart was in a pretty good place. I, I looked at it as like honor, I do what I got to do for my family, I did all that kind of stuff. But there was three ways I could have responded to that. First of all, I could have acted like it wasn't there. Many men do such things. And that ain't there. That's on the side of the house, man. Let that, that's going to clear out. The snow's coming. I could have did it and been mad at everyone. Just came in like, enough's enough, people. And just been mad and enraged that I had to serve them like that. Oh, after I finished, I could have walked in the door, looked at them and said, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to clean all that stuff up. I just feel blessed, what an honor. I'm not even worthy to clean up your manholes. This is the kind of statement John the Baptist did. Can you imagine going up saying, you're so great, thank you for the honor that I get to clean up your manhole. Right? But that's the heart of a servant. That's why David could say, if I could be a doorkeeper in your house, then I have everything. If I can mow the lawn for your church, I have everything. Father, the honor that I get to clean out those bathrooms every week. I'm not even worthy. Right? 
That's a servant's heart because they understand where they are when it comes to Jesus. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm thankful that I'm worthy even to do these things. There's nothing too low because Jesus went to the lowest and to the cross. How can I say no to anything in serving? Amen? It's nothing too low. This is the kingdom of God. The lowest of the greatest. The last of the first. See, in our Western civilization, we're always trying to get to the top, try to get to the bottom. That's what John the Baptist did. Imagine his life. Greatest among men, but it could have been lonely at times. You want to talk about a man who's gifted? Let me see if it goes to your head. If some, They're prophesying about you 600 years before in the Bible. If you even had a reference in the Bible, I don't even want to be around you. You'd be like, you need me to sign it? This man had all... If pride got a hold of him, he would have been like, they've been talking about me for 16 years. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. He said, no, I'm not even worthy to tie the shoes, to untie the sandals of the great one Jesus. This speaks to the greatness of Jesus. You've got to understand how oppressed the people of God had been since sin entered. Oppressed. Hundreds of years in slavery. It's been 400 years since a prophet even spoke to them. John was the first prophet in hundreds of years. They didn't even like have their own nation. They were ruled by other people. They were looked at as less. They were waiting for this king who was going to deliver them and establish an eternal kingdom. And when Jesus stepped on the scene, his greatness blew them all away. And you're, as we read through Mark, you'll see it. It keeps saying, no one had ever seen anything like this. No one had ever seen anything like this. The greatness of Jesus and his main theme of his message becomes this. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is the part I really need us to hone in as followers of Jesus on. Let's give a quick summary of what baptism of the Holy Spirit is, because some of us might have um, just choppy theology on it. And I don't want there to be confusion in Restoration Road. Baptism of the Holy... Let's start with what it is, and I can talk about what it's not. Okay? Baptism of the Holy Spirit is that moment when God... The Holy Spirit brings you from death to life. It's that moment that people use born again, where you actually see Jesus in the cross as your only hope, and you repent and put your faith in Jesus. It's when the Holy Spirit enters you on the moment of salvation, and you become a child of God. You see differently, you act differently, you behave differently. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that make sense to everyone? No spirit of God when you're born, you're dead in your trespassing, a child of wrath like Ephesians says. The Holy Spirit enters your heart, faith, repentance, all these things happen. Like Jesus said in Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't even see the greatness of Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. His work is salvation, Okay. Where the confusion happens with brothers and sisters in Christ who I love dearly, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. I am still a little Pentecostal with a seatbelt on. You know I move around, right? But what happens is the body of Christ is separated because people say that some people believe in Jesus but haven't received the Holy Spirit. In my understanding of the scriptures and many understand the scriptures, that's not theologically sound. Do you guys understand me? That is not theologically sound. It does a thing too. It separates the body of Christ. Can you imagine 
We got some spirit-filled people in here and we got some just believers. How are you even believing? How are you making it? You that strong? It's only by the Holy Spirit you can even make it and believe and move and live and have being. The reason you believe is because of the Holy Spirit. You guys see that there? Sealed unto the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit fills us, he's never leaving. You guys hear me? Because it's his work, not ours. If it was our work, there'd be much boasting in heaven. The Holy Spirit seals us Onto the day of redemption. He works in us. Now, I understand many people maybe are describing like after they get saved and the Holy Spirit answers them, they might a few years later where they really feel the presence of God in a magnificent way and maybe they describe it as such. Absolutely. There are moments where you feel the presence of God more, where you might even feel like you go to a new level in your walk, where you feel God's grace poured out on your life. But that's just almost maybe described as a deeper feeling or experience of his presence you didn't not have the Holy Spirit and then you ha- when you believed and then had the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, everyone? See just the logic there? You have to have the Holy Spirit to believe. The Holy Spirit doesn't enter a second time. He enters once and he stays with us for all eternity. So that's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a few workings of the Holy Spirit I want to talk about. Now, there's many But from this text, I need you guys to hear this today because this is stuff that's going to be powerful and you can apply to your life. In this text, it talks about the weight people have of sin. The beautiful work that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of sin. Many of us don't like that work, right? I can have people all all the time, they say, man, I love how you preach. It makes me feel so bad. I'm like, I don't don't try to make you feel bad. (laughs) But if we feel conviction, that's a beautiful thing because the Holy Spirit is trying to take something out of our life that is destroying us. Sin ruins and it destroys. You ever watch Hoarders? What a nightmare. You want to talk about gagging? I can barely watch the show. If you're a hoarder, God has grace on your life. But I'm telling you right now, they go into these people's homes and there's just, Stuff stacked up upon stacked up and dirty and bed bugs and their families left them and the marriage broke up, but they're trying to hold on to these things, right? You're looking at it, they're like, this is a rocking chair from 1846 that my great-great-granddaddy had. Like, and you're like, dude, it's got one leg, it's broken. Move along. And they're holding on to stuff that is trash. They're holding on to stuff that is trash. Then the agent comes in, right? The person comes in and says, listen, you need your life back. Your family left you. It's your son who hired us to come in here and make this episode, right? You got to get this out. This place is infested. You got to clean house. And what the Holy Spirit does is clean house. But you know when you watch those shows, what happens over and over again? People won't let go. They say, no, my clutter. (laughs) I need it. I need the stuff that's ruining my life. That's what we do with sin. I need this sin. It's ruining me. It's awesome. I need this sin. It it helps me in the moment, but it's destroying me. What the Holy Spirit is saying, no, man, let, let me take this. Let me take this. Stop it. That's dirty. That's infested. Let me take this. Let me talk to you. Get this out of your life. Get this out of your life. You think this is helping and this is hurting. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why he convicts us of sin. If you feel convicted of sin, rejoice, because it means God loves you, amen? Because he cares enough for you to say, get that out of there. That's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your family, your church, your town. That's going to destroy you. Jesus died so that we could have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and tells us when things are wrong so we can turn away from them, amen? That's one thing. The second thing is, the Holy Spirit causes us to become servants. How many people wake up and say, man, I can't wait to serve somebody? Or do you think, man, someone better be serving me today. Where's my eggs at? <laughs> the Holy Spirit makes you into a servant. He gives you gifts. Each one of us has a gift or a few gifts from the Holy Spirit that are you called to use for the body of Christ. You are called to use it for the body of Christ. Now, we can use our gifts for other things, for our own glory, for financial problems. We can use our gifts for those things. And many people trade in the gifts that God has given them to make gain for themselves. But I tell you, the greatest way to use your gift is to serve you in your gift to build up the body of Christ and see the light overcome the darkness. Amen? You've been given gifts. You know, too much we get focused on one gift, right? The preacher who gets up here and preaches preaches only reason the preacher is up there because god gave him a gift to use for the benefit of other people he's nothing amazing you've all been given gifts to use for the glory of god you've all been given gifts to use for the glory of god and only the holy spirit can make you serve like that only the holy spirit can make you feel good about wiping that toilet right that's the work of the holy spirit man if someone's down there i see the setup team cleaning up they have the gift of hospitality and i'm telling you only God can make someone clean a toilet for no money. Only God can cause some of our teachers to use their gifts to teach our children about Jesus. Only God can do that. Because let me tell you this. If you're a Bostonian and you're living life and you're trying to provide for a family, life is always already so busy. If you're using any of your time for other people, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you, there's not too much margin in our lives. Can I get a big amen? So if you are using any of your time for others in the glory of Jesus, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're called to be a preacher and every week you know only 25% of people are going to even heed what you preach, you've got a gift of the Holy Spirit because it's a discouraging job. Right? Let's go preach to everyone and only about 10% of them are going to pay attention. Let's do it. Right? Only the Holy Spirit can make a preacher get up here. Only God could do that. And I see you guys, and I'm so proud of everything you guys do. I'm amazed what God has done in your life that any of you serve in this church. Because it's such an unselfish act. It's the work of God. It's inspirational. And it's the God, the Holy Spirit, just doing something wonderful, you guys. Everyone who cooks a meal for someone, anyone who takes care of our kids, anyone who cleans the bathroom, anyone who mows the lawn, anyone who sets up communion, that's the work of God. Anyone who takes the time to listen to someone who you told over and over again not to walk in that sin, but they keep doing it. But you know what? The grace of God is there, and you say, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. You call me anytime. You text me anytime. I'm there for you. I'm fighting for you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what this is. This was like a, a like CIA or something up here. I don't even know. And the final thing that the Holy Spirit does, and I want to, so you remember this, I want to ask you this question so it sits with you. 
Who wrote the Bible? It's a trick question. My God is Holy Spirit. He was ready. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, right? Who's the main character in the Bible? What does it say about Jesus? It's the greatest, right? And there's many things, but summing up like that. So we learn that the Holy Spirit wrote this Bible. The main character was Jesus. And he declared that he is the greatest, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. If you can remember that simple thing, you can understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus great in our eyes. The work of the Holy Spirit, he's always pointing to another. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make the gospel so beautiful and make Jesus so magnificent and make us realize that, so the Holy Spirit, let me say this, the Holy Spirit makes our eyes realize what already is, okay? So Jesus is greatest whether we realize it or not. Some people will never realize it. That doesn't make Jesus not great. What the Holy Spirit does is he opens up the heart to see the magnitude and the grace and love and the power of Jesus so that when we come here, we look at that cross, we sing these songs, we're overwhelmed with the glory of Jesus. Do you feel that way? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. If you think Jesus is great and the Savior of the world, the Holy Spirit is working in you. That's how you can determine. Even in the New Testament, when Paul was saying discern the spirits, how do I tell if someone is speaking according to the Spirit of God? If they're declaring that Jesus is Lord, they're speaking according to the Spirit of God, right? The Holy Spirit work is to make Jesus the greatest. So look in your lives, look in your church, look at places where you're seeing Jesus as the greatest and understand that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, amen? So Restoration Road, as we start, Mark, I, I hope you feel encouraged today. I, I hope you feel like we've got to introduce this character that introduced us to the main character. But as we go through this Bible, this book of the Bible, be looking for how the Holy Spirit is working. So you'll see when Jesus is healing, what are people saying? They're saying, Jesus, that's him. When he's preaching and bringing wisdom, the Holy Spirit, people are saying, Jesus is the greatest. So as you look through this, allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the greatness of Jesus in the book of Mark. Let's pray.